dive deep into a trendy tech topic, blockchain, and how to boldly leap into new adventures on this Get to Know an Average Joe. Being forced into the fires of uncertainty. At different points in my life, I've been forged into those fires and they've always um, delivered me to the place I was supposed to be. But before we get to know how Kathy Mulligan became a cryptocurrency researcher, let's learn how she came to be called Catherine sometimes. Actually, only my mum calls me Catherine, not even my dad dares call me Catherine anymore, yeah. Right. <laughs> and why is that? Why does your mum prefer Catherine? Uh, well, actually, oddly, uh, when she was giving birth to me, uh, um, Laurence Olivier was on television uh, doing Wuthering Heights, and uh, so she always wants it to be Catherine, which is how he pronounced it, but everyone else says Catherine, so only my mum gets to call me now that now. So, But uh, yeah, I became Cathy um, later on when I became an engineer, actually. Tell us um, what what you do. What uh, what makes up a day in the life of Cathy? Uh, well, a lot of different things, actually, thinking a lot about digital technologies and how we can apply them across different industries and different societies, but also how they can be of benefit to absolutely everybody on the planet, not just um, large corporations or even just um, average everyday people, I guess. I guess, to be honest with anybody who might be listening, we should admit that we know each other from a past at Ericsson. Um, although when I met you, you were already at the Imperial College. I was working as a research fellow, and I was doing some work together with uh, a colleague of yours at Ericsson, looking at what are the disruptive elements of technology and how they might impact uh, mobile networks. And you recently made a big decision to leave the Imperial College, and what happened? Well, uh, yeah, I sort of ended up uh, thinking that I'm not particularly um, interested, actually, in becoming a, a full-time academic. So I've taken visiting uh, role at Imperial College and uh, been investigating what to do next and looking at, uh, again, uh, how uh, digital technologies impact mobile and what technologies I can look at, such as blockchain. So we've just released a World Economic Forum report on um, when to blockchain. So you throw out a word like blockchain, and that makes perfect sense to you, but let's pretend it doesn't make perfect sense. What exactly is blockchain? A blockchain is effectively a piece of technology that allows uh, radical transparency, if you think about it that way. The most important or the most well-known piece of uh, application or application that's built on a blockchain is called Bitcoin. And the idea is that it allows us to share information between each other around transactions that are remove the need for an intermediary. So in the example of Bitcoin, what you see is that individuals, so peer-to-peer, -peer, are creating their own currency. And they don't need a central bank. Actually, they don't need a bank at all. Um, blockchain. But yeah. computers around the world each have a piece of the information. So there's no place that has all of the information. Or do I misunderstand? No, that's exactly the point. So we create radical transparency in blockchain through every single node on the network having a copy of every single transaction that has happened on it. Um, and that's what we call consensus. Uh, there are methods whereby all of the nodes agree that this transaction is correct and should be included on the ledger. And what that does is it prevents, there's, you know, we have something called proof of work that prevents nefarious actors recording uh, transactions onto the, the network. So that means that basically the 
This is, this is as technical as we've like, ever gotten on get to know an, uh, get to know an average Joe. But I love it. I think I think what's interesting is, you know, you say the word consensus, and that means uh, you've lived in Sweden, so that means a certain thing to you. But when you say consensus in terms of blockchain, you don't mean people sitting around a table agreeing and nodding at each other and avoiding conflict. No, and actually you've brought up a really good point. So actually consensus, when we're talking about the consensus protocol for blockchain, that is a, a piece of uh, code that basically is called proof of work that ensures that every single one of the nodes on the network are able to agree with one another and create consensus about what transactions should be recorded into the ledger. Big thing, however, is the fact that in Bitcoin, what you also see is a complete lack of consensus from human beings. So there has been a big bunch of arguments about uh, what block size we should have, you know, what, what size it should be, how the protocol should be implemented. And you see a really fascinating thing happening. So we've got the distributed technology works perfectly, but the actual human interaction, of course, is just as difficult to manage as it always is. Which is a little bit like self-driving cars, is what's the problem with self-driving cars? It's humans. Absolutely, yeah. No. yeah. But I always wondered about Bitcoin is what's, what's backing it? I mean, we know with currency, there's something behind it. So what is behind Bitcoin? Like when you need to actually transact with Bitcoin, what's, where does the virtual become reality? I'm so confused. You have to help me here. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I guess what is backing Bitcoin? There's two two aspects of that. What is backing the price? And that's people's belief in the same way that we believe in the British pound has value. So we buy it or we sell it. But in the network itself, like how do I actually transact? Well, that's with what you call a, a Bitcoin wallet, something you usually have on your phone. And it's quite simple if there's a, a somebody who accepts bitcoin you just transfer some money in them and that's one of the transactions that will be recorded in the mining process it is very much about what we view money to be it's a big question and that's why it's such a challenging topic what is money and what is exchanging value with one another so what does it mean in our new economy? And digital technologies that we have are really challenging our uh, established notions of economy and also business, actually. So how do businesses engage with one another using these type of technologies? I can see this topic gets you going because you're getting really animated and it's excited. But I want to find out a little bit more about Kathy from the beginning. Like as a little girl, what made you want to become an engineer and chase these stories of transformation and, you know, how digital is going to change our world? Well, uh, I guess I was basically sibling rivalry, um, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm very honest. My brother got a computer and I went, that looks cool. And I started coding at the age of 10, uh, mainly to compete with my brother and uh, to see how all of that was supposed to work. And I got really excited by it. Uh, and I was very lucky at my high school. We had an excellent computer lab, and I had a computer studies teacher who was actually just um, finishing off her PhD at Cornell. And uh, she trained me. She introduced me in 1989 to something called the internet, which was tiny. It was actually, you know, very, very nice. It was like ICQ, wasn't it? It was. Le it was even less than that. Yeah, <laughs> but it was. Uh, and I was just like super excited um, by it. And then I decided to pursue that. Um, so basically, you know, I started coding when I was 10 and I just never looked back. Amazing. And what does your brother do today? Uh, my brother just died. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> 
he was obviously young because you're a young person. Um, how did you, how are you grieving through that process? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, really, really uh, difficult. It was a, a very difficult process, actually, and I'm still obviously dealing with it now. But I had to, I had to fly for 42 hours because he, he died in Broken Hill in Australia, which is in a tiny little little place there. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was a really jarring process because it is obviously a person you expected to be there your, in, your entire life. Um, Are you dealing with the digital remnants of his life? I'm not personally, but it was in, it was my parents are, are doing that. And uh, it's a really interesting process to watch because the first thing you have to do is uh, you know, try and understand how to freeze all of the digital assets that someone has. How do you um, say that, you know, this person is dead uh, and this, you know, needs to, you know, X, Y, and Z needs to stop bank accounts, all of those kind of things. Um, and it's quite a harrowing um, process, I think. And oddly that we are so digital, but things like death are really not dealt with very well digitally. Yet. 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 Um, but I wonder if it isn't one of the aspects of human uh, existence that shouldn't be dealt with digitally. Yeah. I wonder if it's actually part of the grieving process to, to, put all, to help you put all of those things aside to do it in person. But, I, I, um, yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult. I mean, I guess uh, I had a, a very good friend of mine die when I was 24. Um, when I was living in Sweden. And one of the things I noticed, actually, when Google started, you know, Gmail started being a huge uh, thing, they would automatically pick up her email address, even though she'd been she'd been dead for well over 10 years. Oh. And it was kind of a little bit jarring. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it's a difficult uh, thing to see sometimes. So, yeah, I think, and there's a lot of researchers actually doing a lot of work on what it means, what digital death means, what does it mean to memorialise someone's Facebook account. And um, it's not something that I am, I'm not someone who's a researcher in that particular topic, but, uh, yeah, so. Personally. But you've experienced it. I yeah. Think yeah. Yeah, and it gives you real pause for thought about what it, um, all of these digital technologies really mean. And I sat with my husband and I was thinking, you know, what what happens if you or I die? Here's all our digital assets that we also need to think about. It's not just bank accounts and stuff. Yeah, it's like, right. here's, here's a profile that sits on LinkedIn or something, you know. Exactly. That quite frankly would pr- definitely need to be shut down. <laughs> definitely. Not job-seeking after not that job-seeking. event. <laughs> Uh, but that's uh, that's an example of a twist and a turn that can happen in these conversations on this podcast. But let's track back to you have a PhD. And one thing that I, as a person who does not have a PhD, I'm just curious about which topic did you fall in love with enough to pursue for so many years and just get into the nitty gritty about what is your PhD topic? So my PhD topic is uh, the communications industries in the era of convergence. And actually what really got me excited um, was my supervisor saying, Catherine, what you really need to study was supply chains. And I looked at him and I thought, I cannot believe you want me to study supply chains. He said, if you want to understand your industry, you need to understand supply chains. And so my supervisor was an incredible, incredibly unusual man, fantastic brain. Um, He got up uh, in one lecture and gave one of the most spectacular assessments of telecommunications industries I have ever seen in my life. I was sat there as a student thinking, you have just explained to me what I've lived through in Ericsson. I understand now what's happened. Oh, wow. 
And so I, I looked at him and I said, you know, supply chains. And I went, you know what, you know more than me. I'm going to trust you. And I went home and I was like, oh, God, this is going to be awful three years of supply chains. Okay. And actually what it became was value chains and how they evolve and change over time. So, and I just got so excited by it. Actually, really bizarrely, it was like understanding how semiconductors, mobile phones and, you know, information technologies have evolved since 1960 all the way through to 2010 um, and then I sort of said well actually I think a new thing is emerging which is called the information value chain I called it the information value chain which is looking at how data technology and all of these things come together to give us a new digital economy and it does I don't think anybody would argue with you about that today looking at data and how much value it is and current events and the kind of data that we hand over freely to certain corporations. But you have an interesting story about an application of a project you did in the Himalayas. Describe that. Yeah, so that was actually um, uh, an interesting experience as well. So when I started uh, in the academic world, I was lucky enough to um, be able to apply for grants, and I did. I was sent to the middle of India, to Varda, in, um, which is the um, one of the ashrams there that Gandhi was at um, during his uh, freeing India of um, British rule. And I met uh, a person there who ended up becoming my professional soulmate. And I guess that's one of the really strange things in my life, that I found a professional soulmate who was 65 um, years old and living in uh, Delhi at the time, but doing incredible amounts of work around value chains for um, people in different parts of parts of India. And what is this person's name? Do you mind sharing it? Uh, Dr. Raghunandan. Um, so fantastic human being, and uh, some of the best years of my life were spent on that project. So what we looked at was again supply chains, but what we looked at was how do you take digital technologies and use those technologies to disrupt mega companies such as SAP. So long story short, um, he did some work in the foothill of the Himalayas, I did work in rural Wales and we compared and contrasted and we came up with a mobile phone based supply chain system that is basically a competitor, well it's not a competitor but it's an open source version of SAP. Replacing, Um, replacing SAP. Yeah, well, it's for small, very, very small companies or, you know, people who don't necessarily have enough money to pay for SAP because it's a very expensive product. Um, And you can coordinate a supply chain using it. So it's for smaller supply chains. So, you know, um, supply chains in Wales are, I don't know, probably up to 10 to 20 companies in, yeah. So it was a fantastic experience. And it was great because it really challenged my perspective about what could be achieved. And it really challenged me to develop leadership skills that I think that I really did need to develop so such as well um, yeah just basically uh, how do you coordinate uh, two countries for a start you know doing very similar things but very complex technologies and how do you get the cultural interaction and that's not necessarily culturally between India and the UK but how do you get different disciplines so how do you get human computer interaction to work together with agricultural economics or mechanical engineering. And they're disciplines that are extremely deep and very um, clever people working in them. Um, but how do you get them to coordinate and work together? And that was a really fascinating uh, challenge and probably some of the best fun I've had in my life as well. 
But just one last thing, a PhD, just to let you know, uh, actually stands for permanent head damage. <laughs> My dad used to call it piled higher and deeper. I'm sure you've heard that before, too. <laughs> so it, 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 it really uh, changes the way you think about stuff. And sometimes you're just there going, oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> it's quite funny. You realise you've been thinking for three months. <laughs> you know, <laughs> on, one on one thing. In other conversations, you've also, you, you drop how your observations of people are fantastic brain and what a brain. So I have to ask, who is your favorite intellectual crush and why? Wow, there are actually so many. Uh, that's, that's uh, and you, you've really, you, you saw right through me. I have intellectual <laughs> crushes. You're absolutely right. Um, my Biggest intellectual crush at the moment, wow. Uh, well, apart from Raghu, who was the um, the supply chain guy in India, yeah. Um, I am spectacularly impressed by some of the guys at UCL, so Professor Trelevin, uh, who is a uh, has done some fantastic work in financial services. He did a lot of algorithms that sit now in the financial services industry of London. Spectacular brain. Uh, and I'm lucky enough to talk to him about um, the future of identity and how we use blockchain for identity. Um, and then there are some really uh, fantastically sharp brains. I, I, I admire a couple of my um, close friends, so Jen, Zhu and Meltem, who are uh, blockchain gurus and demand more from me every day. So that's one of the reasons I have intellectual crushes on them. It, uh, they demand more of my brain every day. And that's, I think, it's the reciprocity of that that I really enjoy. Last question is, having grown up in Australia, living in Sweden, now living in London, having worked for a long time at the Imperial College of London, now pursuing something else, you're not afraid of change in your life. So what is the next big step for Kathy? and what's getting you ready to take that step? Well, that's a really good question. I think that um, there's a couple of things I'd like to do. So I would really like to take some of the open source software I took uh, built for, for India and uh, rural Wales and actually deliver that uh, more broadly. And a lot of the work we've been doing around identity um, for blockchain and what that means to deliver that in a new way, I think will be um, hopefully released very soon. Um, and I'm uh, basically what's getting re me ready for that it would be f being forced into the fires of uncertainty um, if I may say so and actually that's so poetic <laughs> sorry <laughs> so sometimes uh, at different points in my life I've been forged into those fires and they've always um, delivered me to the place I was supposed to be let us know how it goes because you're just one to watch thank you for this chat Kathy. absolute pleasure thank you for your time after this chat with Kathy, I caught the crypto bug. So while we're still going to meet new friends on this podcast, look for a new podcast from me, Dodie Axe. I'm going to meet some of Kathy's intellectual crushes and find out all that an average Joe needs to know about blockchain, Bitcoin, and the crypto economy. The more pods, the merrier, am I right? And now, until next time, if you'll excuse me, 